in the big rock candy mountains. All the cops have wooden legs, and the bulldogs all have rubber teeth, and the hens lay soft-boiled eggs. The farmers... Welcome to Stokes County Boys, a podcast in which two friends discuss the place and things that made them who they are and who they're not. As always, you're joined by me, Philip, and my good friend, Patrick. Patrick, what's happening? Hey, same old, same old. How are you, Philip? I'm loving it, and I'm living it. I'm going to use your catchphrase. Uh, All right. Yeah, I'm really excited today. Today, we're talking about the movie, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? A movie I've seen plenty of times, but Patrick, I know I could go on all day about it, but I felt like we had to bring some people in. You can catch them on Thursdays, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Rick, Dan, George, and Jake. It's the Queer Magnolias. How you doing? Hi. Hi. Hey. Hey. Thank you for having us. Yes, of course. Thanks for coming on. Um, so I guess what happened, how this came to be, luckily, in one of our early episodes, we interviewed Wally White. I um, was trying to get into some of the, the local politics around Stokes County. We interviewed Rita Cruz, who was running for North Carolina House, and then she connected me to Wally White. And then I saw um, just later on that he came on your show, and that's how I got connected to your show. And um, I just recommend it to anybody. It's a great show. And so if one of you would like to, just give uh, our listeners just a rundown of what your show is. What is Queer Magnolias? Sure. You guys want me to take that, and then I'll shut up and you can talk the rest of the podcast. Run with it, right? Oh. <laughs> All right. So our little podcast was actually born out of the fact that uh, all of us are actually from North Carolina, but we all live here in Los Angeles. But we never met when we were in North Carolina. Unlike you two, we were not childhood friends. We didn't know each other in North Carolina. We all met when we were here. And as, uh, as part of that, we were talking uh, right around when the pandemic hit and all of this. We were looking for some kind of creative outlet. We'd thrown around uh, doing uh, a play or, you know, all these different ideas. And then suddenly we're all uh, locked, at, locked in at home and we're like, let's do a podcast. So uh, we ended up creating a podcast that just talks about uh, something that's near and dear to our hearts. And that's growing up gay in, uh, in North Carolina and sort of all of the, the as and if you listen to the opening, it's all about the trials and the tribulations of growing up gay in the South and everything that comes along with that. Uh, it's not, I mean, I feel uh, blessed to have the childhood that I had, although there are issues, of course, probably in everybody's uh, history, but, uh, you know, each of us have had a different sort of upbringing, and I think we've ended up in a really great place, and we just wanted to talk about it. I like that you said that we weren't childhood friends. Sometimes I'm not sure we're adult friends, but thank you for saying that. I know you. I was being generous. <laughs> So for all of our first-time guests, we ask, and we'll start with you, Dan. Tell us about your hometown. So I grew up in a little place called Cove City, and it's in Craven County, and it's halfway between Kenston and Newbern, which is sort of halfway between Raleigh and the ocean. And in the old days, Highway 70 went through Cove City. Now, hardly anyone goes through there. <laughs> so it's, it's a little village, uh, which is what I call it. There's about 400, 450 people. There were about 400, 450 people in the 1950s and the 1920s. Somebody dies, someone's born. That's about it. It is, though, a great place to be from. Uh, a lot of the people were relatives, even though my dad often didn't want to include them as relatives. But they were. Um, and quite a few of them are still alive. And I go 
my parents have both passed on, but I go back maybe once every other year and visit old family and friends. And this year is my high school reunion, so I should see a lot of them this year. Nice place to be from, but it's a dot on the map for sure. Thanks for that. Um, Jake and George, you guys want to mention? I know, Jake, you said you're not from North Carolina, so. No. Well, George, since you are from the South, why don't you start? I am. So I'm from Wilson, North Carolina, in the middle of Wilson County. Um, You know, it's kind of the middle of the state, sort of. And I feel like it's probably between Dan, Rick, and I, it's probably the bigger of the cities. And every time I go home now, it's like, it's amazing how much bigger it gets. You know, I think at one time Wilson's claim to fame was it was the tobacco capital of the world. So, you know, do with that what you will. And uh, <laughs> it was a place to grow up and then leave. <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Jake. So I am from Southern California. So that's the extent of the South that I'm from. Right. Actually, not far from LA. Okay. Town um, called Alhambra, next to Pasadena, and I met George in Hollywood uh, nine years ago, and yeah, we 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 met at a bar. A fun, fun old time story. Yeah, the old fashioned <laughs> way at a bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that's my connection to the South. Now that's how I met the Magnolias. Awesome. And Rick, we'll finish with Rick. I am actually from uh, the wonderful fictional town of Mayberry that you may know from the Andy Griffith show. Um, the actual real name of the town is Mount Airy, North Carolina, and it's actually the home of Andy Griffith. <clears throat> and um, uh, yeah, so it's also home to, it's also part of Surrey County, and it's home to the world famous, but only known in the county, Sonker Pie, which is, uh, I guess, nobody else anywhere in the world knows what a Sonker Pie is, but uh, in Surrey County, it's the main dish, if you will. So, um, but yeah, I grew up there, uh, went to school there in, in uh, Winston-Salem and got the hell out of there as fast as I could. So. <laughs> Philip, is that our first uh, Sonker mention? It is. That's yeah, that was epic. big. That's great. No, that, I, I make that all the time here. People have no idea. It's like, no, is this a cobbler? No, do not call it a cobbler. That's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liken it to uh, the Steel Magnolia's Cuppa Cuppa Cuppa. So it's basically the same thing. I think there's one more cup. Uh, if, if So wait a minute. It's flour, milk, sugar, uh, sugar, and, and fruit, I right? Got to go with butter in there too. Uh, with the butter. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, in the cup of cup of cup of is flour, uh, sugar, and fruit. So and it's butter. <laughs> no, the cup of cup of cup of from Still Magnolia is missing the butter. They just don't mention it, honey. It's in there. I don't know what that would turn into if you actually bake that. Rick doesn't <laughs> bake. Rick pours. <laughs> Patrick usually makes it with strawberries. Is Rick? Are there other fruits that you've had it with? I've always had Patrick's strawberry zonker. I think it's always been strawberries, as far as I can remember. Maybe once we might have tried it with peaches, but we were not a big peaches house. If you listened to the last week's episode, George <laughs> very clearly points that out. For That's everybody. a plug. <laughs> so wait, I thought one of the traditional traditional zonkers was sweet potato. I remember reading this online. Good old. Google. Strawberry, strawberry is what I grew up with. Um, 
And Patrick, it seems yeah. like you did too, but sweet potatoes. Well, you know, I, I never actually had anything but strawberry until I started making it for my friends down here. And, you know, I live in Durham now. Philip lives in Chapel Hill, so he can vouch for this. Like, we're we're in the minority of Southerners that live in our own areas. You know, a yeah. lot of a lot of transplants. And so, you know, they think I talk funny. Like, <laughs> you're in my home. But, right. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, had some friends that didn't like strawberries. And so, you know, we've tried it with peaches, you know, uh, mangoes was okay. I mean, I don't know. For me, I, I think growing up with strawberry, just give me strawberry every time at this point. I agree with that. Great. All right. Well, without further ado, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes. Be on a minute. I'm a going to stay where you sleep all day Where they hung the Turk that invented work In the big rock candy mountains Well I told him once or twice To stop playing cards and a shooting dice He's in the jailhouse now We're back. Patrick, we're back. Fantastic. All right. We're going to get going. We're going to talk about, oh, brother, where art thou? Oh, you know, you know what? Sorry. Though, before we do that, I just want to say one little thing. Um, guys, so when you reached out and you said that you actually wanted us to come on the show, of course, we did our research and sort of tried to figure out a little bit about what you guys are about and what, what you do and all of that. And I came across this review, which I absolutely fell in love with. And I wanted to, I decided to bring it today because I wanted to kind of get your reaction to it because I can see this. I feel this in my soul a little bit. So I'm going to read it real quick. <clears throat> the title of the review is, and this is what got me, Coming Home. Listening to the Stokes County Boys is like coming home for a weary old soul. The Stokes County Boys show up each week with a conversation or an interview that flies out of left field in a way that makes you feel like you always needed to know whatever they throw at you. Don't underestimate the takeaway here. You will feel it in your bones. So check them out and thank me later. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. Very nice. nice. Thank you. Thank, that's nice. And I agree because I feel the same way. I didn't write the review. Oh, though. okay. Oh, good. Well, At least we have two people that feel that way. Then. You know, very, very few people out there are willing to, to risk um, connecting gerrymandering in North Carolina to Big Johnson t-shirts at Wings in Kitty Hawk, you know, so we're, we're on that cutting edge of daring. So now that you've brought up Wings, before we get to the movie, you're going to have to tell them to get a better website because I've been trying to see these t-shirts from wings and they they have no website i mean it's not really that expensive to build a website what's wrong with these people i think they're still cash only i'm not sure <laughs> and and i don't know how many times you have to go over this uber eats is not going to deliver wings to you in California. <laughs> now i appreciate that thanks for reading that thanks for sharing your sentiments as well as always if you want to leave your review and your thoughts just, uh, you know, give us five stars on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts and, and write a little something in. We really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. So the way I like to start out is um, just talking a little bit about how you were talking about, oh, brother, where art thou? I keep kind of <laughs> jumbling up the, the I need to enunciate a little bit better. But we're talking about the Coen Brothers movie, oh, brother, where art thou? 
Rick, how'd you come across the movie? Yeah, tell us your just uh, first time experience and and your your kind of general impressions of the movie, real quick, and then we'll we'll go around the table. Well, I mean, I would say uh, obviously I'm a uh, I'm a Coen Brothers fan. Uh, I I do love sort of the work that they've done. I actually, though, I have to admit, I didn't see the movie when it first came out. I saw it sort of after the fact, and I feel like a lot of people. Uh, that I know felt the same way because it was such a period piece set in, you know, I think it's 1930s Mississippi uh, or something. And it's like, oh, I don't know what this piece is going to be about. Is it going to be funny? Is it going to be, you know, uh, what is it a little bit? And so I saw it after, uh, after it released. And I've seen it three times now since because it's so great. It's such a great movie. Uh, I mean, I think probably the one thing that jumps out to me the most about this movie that I love is the music. The music is sort of its own character in this film for me, um, you know, and this, uh, what is it? The, the Soggy Bottom Boys, which is the name of the band that they become. Uh, I love the, the sort of history behind that in that they were named after, was it Foggy Mountain Boys? I think it was with, uh, uh, was it, sorry, Danny, help me out with this. Is uh, Earl, Earl Scruggs and, and Lester Flat, yep. right? Right. And Earl is uh, from North Carolina. I think he's from Flint Hill, North Carolina, I think. And uh, so, and, and the fact that these guys, this band was sort of named in honor of, uh, you know, the, the foggy, uh, the foggy mountain boys was a big thing for me. I'm not a big fan of bluegrass music, but there's something about this that's fun. And uh, in a strange way, dare I say hip as well. So I think that the music was a big thing for me. It's what attracted me to the movie. All right. Thank you, George. So I did see the movie when it first came out, not actually in a regular theater though. There was a drive-in theater here in California, like out in the deep, deep Valley that the guy I was dating at the time used to love to go to. Mm -hmm. So I saw it at the drive-in. Cool. Um, And it's one of those movies that I feel like has kind of like always been part of my life like it's one of those it's one of those movies you put on because it's a feel-good movie um and I think probably has a lot to do with music because I feel like music for me musicals usually tend to be very feel-good movies um but I yeah it's just it's something that's always been part of my of my history my background and I've always loved this movie I'm a sucker for movies that take place like period pieces I'm a sucker for movies that take place in the in like in the south like I love southern films so I feel like this is such a great movie for us to talk about all being Southern. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's a great, it's a great bridge for everybody. Cause I feel like if you don't like this movie, I don't want to know you. <laughs> Jake, do you like this movie? <laughs> Watch it. They live in the same house. I know. I know. <laughs> he, he, he's already been told that he likes this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Jake. I'm sorry. Go all ahead. right. But you know, actually this movie, I've seen this movie so many times I actually can't even count it. Growing up, our, my parents, you know, they they divorced and we would go to my dad's. And one of the things you were talking about earlier was go to Blockbuster. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Blockbuster Friday nights. And this was one of the ones that we saw that all of us fell in love with. My dad, he bought the soundtracks. We listened to it in the car. Yeah. We sang all the songs. I can recite so many of the lines from it. Uh, so it really touches heart for me a lot. So I'm super happy to talk about awesome. it. Awesome. I will and I have no like Hollywood ties to it, but I will quote it and I will sing along with you. 
And as you, I'm sure you know, Jacob is a Dapper Dan. And I am Dapper. I came Dapper. <laughs> we actually have a Dapper Dan here. Dan, what's your... <laughs> we do indeed. I think like everybody else, I think the music is... is it is its own character and it is very central to the movie. Along with that, though, I love the fact that it has a big daddy in Papio Daniel. I mean, it, oh, it, God, yeah. it is such a it's such a character that are, is in so many Southern movies. Blanche mm-hmm. Devereaux's dad's big daddy is big daddy on Cat, in the, Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. Um, yes, Burlides. Right? Long Hot Summer, there's a big daddy. And the big daddy in this is sort of like we were talking about earlier about politics. You know, it's, it's this person who's influential. He's wealthy, he's influential, and he runs a lot of things. A little crooked, uses music to get the music, religion, everything to get it going. It encaptures so many things that I feel like I grew up with in one way or another. Um, that, you know, I grew up in going to church. Music was a great part of that. I grew up in a house where my parents liked soul music, which is a little unusual, but um, I love soul music. I love blues music. And these characters were larger than life. And I feel like if you took one of the characters out, the movie would have lost a lot. So these characters were well placed by the Coen brothers. And that's to me, that's the fun of it, because you want to see what crazy thing each of these characters does. And there's a lot of crazy in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there is the sirens. Oh my God. <laughs> so wait, but Rick, before we get into the sirens, I'd like to talk about Papio Daniel a little bit more. If you don't, if you guys don't mind. Yeah, that's fine. Because obviously this film is loosely based on the Odyssey by Homer and loosely based. Cause like the Coen brothers freely admit, neither one of them ever actually read the Odyssey. So this, so <laughs> Loosely based, <laughs> but the Papio Daniel character is um, very loosely based, of course, on Zeus because he's ever present throughout the movie. And I just realized recently on rewatching it for this talk was that he is in one of the very opening scenes, like when when um, the three escape the chain gang and they're jumping on the boxcar. The hobos are all sitting on sacks of flour with Papio Daniel's face on them. So he is that early in the he's that early in the film. Um, and I also think it's interesting that he is a character that, unlike everybody else, which is super like washed out and sepia toned and dirty and dry looking, whenever you see him or his entourage, it's white, it's crisp, it's so clean looking because of that class difference. Yeah, I, I've never noticed that about the the flower sack. That's amazing. It's like a, almost a feudal system where you have like the the uh, the the lord. He's like the lord of this like area in Mississippi. Oh, completely. But yeah, that, I, I, oh man, I've never noticed that. That's amazing, Patrick. What's your what's your history with this movie? So I, I have to be honest with you guys. So truth be told, last night was actually the first time that I watched oh. this movie. Now, shot. Now, Patrick. Uh, Patrick. Yeah, now, Patrick. I'm here's shocked. the thing, though. Yeah. When I, it wasn't animated. So. It wasn't animated. That was, <laughs> in fairness, no, the truth be told, though, it was the first time that I'd seen the movie. But I'm very familiar with the soundtrack, not just from when it came out, but uh, my my grandpa, uh, in his later years, this movie came out. And my family bought him, you know, this compact disc that you know his mind was blown, but. They put it on for him. I don't remember him listening. He just started singing along. And, you know, this is, if you grow up in the South, you know these songs, or at least you should. 
And I, my mind was blown at the time just hearing him singing along when he'd never seen the movie. He was just listening along. And I'm really glad to kind of have those memories respawned in my head watching this movie. And, you know, you guys alluded to the music is almost like its own character. I love that the music drove the movie. And being based off the Odyssey, I, I do have to admit, too, I have not read the Odyssey. It was assigned to me in high school, but I bought the Cliff Notes version. I paid my $6, and I <laughs> got my A on that test. And so <laughs> That's you know, I was expecting the movie to be kind of what it was, which was you know, very clear-cut segments that just progress. But again, the music is what tied it together, and the fact that it wasn't just the background soundtrack, the fact that it's... it's the Soggy Bottom Boys singing into the can and, and, and getting their song out there, not even realizing that they're a hit. And then by the end of the movie, they're on the stage, you know, not necessarily willingly, and, but campaigning for Pappy and, and you know, bringing everything all together. I, I, I really like that um, they use the music the way they did. The music has actually sold, the soundtrack has sold more than the movie has. So the soundtrack is actually quite a bit more successful than the movie itself. The movie, the movie has made a ton of money. Don't get me wrong, but the soundtrack is far outsold the movie. I saw this movie when it came out in the theaters. Patrick will know this. I saw it at the North Point Five because that was a theater where we had friends that worked, and sometimes you could go and get them for free. I don't sometimes. remember if I had to pay for this. Well, sometimes, sometimes they were if, if they weren't working the box office, it was a no go. Right, but you didn't get you didn't get a drink from the concession stand because they count the cups in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. We just walk straight. We would walk straight into the. If you go at certain times though, and they're the only ones working, they set you up. So I mean, you know, this was we watched a lot of movies. I mean, Dan, if we had Alan Durham at the box office and Jamie Martin at concessions, we were set for the night. It was a good night. <laughs> You know, uh, can, you, can you hook us up with them on social? Because I can always use a free movie and a drink. Well, I tell you, the North Point Five, a couple years after we were running that grift, uh, kind of went out of business. So it, it was too good to be true. Uh, I, I wonder why. It's your I fault. I wonder why they were losing it's money. It's your fault. <laughs> but anyways, I saw this movie. This was actually the first Coen Brothers movie I had seen. I remember seeing commercials for like The Big Lebowski and being like, oh, I want to see this movie because it just it because the commercial was like his acid trip with the bowling. I thought that was funny, but this was the first Coen Brothers I had actually seen, and and it really got me into like all their stuff. And so like after that in college, I was you know checking out like Hudsucker Proxy and Miller's Crossing and stuff like that amongst others. But and this one just blew me away. Like as you were saying, it just during that that first sequence when there the you hear the Big Rock Candy Mountain. And you're just like, oh, my God, this song is amazing. And then it just continues through the whole movie and then just the look of it. And then it was also one of the early DVDs I had, too. So like Jake, I've seen this movie over and over countless times. I don't know how many times I've seen it. Me and my brother, we've had like phone conversations where we're just like <laughs> doing quotes at each other. I told Patrick, I probably haven't seen this movie in maybe seven or eight years or something like that. But every once in a while, you know, I'm just like there's something that'll pop up like you know somebody'll be like look at look at him and I'll just go like Delmar does yeah look at me you know and and I just do it in that voice and there's just like little things like that that are just like steeped in my subconscious 
Now, talking about the music, this is, <laughs> I'm going to brag about myself again, Patrick. So I mentioned earlier, I do Here this po- podcast for work. One day, randomly, I got to interview T-Bone Burnett because he was on campus. And so he, uh, if you don't know listeners, he produced the music for this and was influential on curating the songs and producing them. It was, it was pretty, and you know, I talked about this movie. It's like, he's had probably four or five decades of, of being in the music business. But, you know, I had like 15 minutes with him. One of the questions was, how'd you, how'd you get on this project? What'd you do? Tell me about it. So that was a pretty cool, um, pretty cool experience because he was also talking about how he kind of mixed analog and digital because of the digital, he could get some more like low tones. And you hear that, like, I, I really paid attention to it this time when at the end, you know, when they're, when they're digging the graves in that lonesome valley, there's that, that low note that's just like so low. And it's just, it, you know, it rattles your rib cage. So it, it was pretty cool. But, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that. I know we mentioned the sirens earlier. Like during the siren scene, it kind of dawned on me, and I've probably known this, you know, I'm 39 years old, and I've been listening to this music since I could walk, and it dawned on me during that scene how negative a lot of the lyrics in these <laughs> old Southern songs are. And, you know, it, it wasn't in the song, but I started thinking, one of the songs we learned to sing in elementary school was uh, Tom Dooley, you know, Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley, you know, Poor Boy Bound to Die, they, I mean, they're, they're talking about a hanging <laughs> And it just, it hit me when the sirens were on the screen because, you know, I think it was the line, um, didn't leave nobody but the baby. I may be paraphrasing. I'm sorry. I'm not super familiar with that song they were singing there. But, you know, a lot of the songs are really negative in, in, in lyrics. And I thought that that, I don't know if it was intentional. I'm sure it probably was. But I thought that was really cool how it's such an upbeat movie. It's such a, a tongue-in-cheek, happy-go-lucky, and I'm and you know Philip and I we've we've discussed a little bit about um, the use of stereotype in I guess media. I have no problem with tongue-in-cheek actors pretending to be Southern in this movie. It was fun. It was entertaining. Hey, I, I thought it was great. But the juxtaposition with like the use of the songs with such dark lyrics with these happy-go-lucky, bumbling people. But, so here's here's a little bit of take on that for me, Patrick, is that I find it slightly different. I think the music should have been dark because we're talking about a, a Depression era set movie. You're talking about people who are poor. And we see a lot of Southern movies where people who are poor are singing. And that's that's not a reality. I mean, people during the Depression cried a lot because they were poor, they were hungry. So I like the fact that it was the opposite of what the movie was sort of portraying, happy-go-lucky. They keep running into all of these good luck things all along the way, yet the, the soundtrack for their lives is very sad, and it's, it's very poor and very dark. And you know, something that, about that song, that particular scene, two things about that scene. First one being that song is actually handed down from oral tradition from slavery. And it's a song about how the baby is left over from the parents leaving and how the storyteller is actually going to poison the baby. So yes, it's a very <laughs> sad song. <laughs> you know, knowing that now, that actually kind of makes sense for that scene too. 
Right. Yes. I mean, the, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think the lyric goes something like, go to sleep, little baby. Mama's going to sway. Daddy's going to pray. Now we need to close our eyes. I don't know exactly the lyrics, but I think it's something like that. Yeah, it's very morbid and dark for sure. But to reverse direction a little bit on uh, the siren scene, I think, what was it about maybe halfway through the movie? I can't remember. Somewhere in that point. I had gone along with the story every time I've watched it. I always sort of forget that it's based on the Odyssey, loosely based on the Odyssey, as it were. Until we get to that scene, it's so freaking random and out of nowhere that these three uh, maidens show up in the river washing clothes. And uh, they suddenly, and then I'm like, oh, now I get it. Now we're back in, in the Odyssey, as it were, if you will, the sirens that come out of nowhere. It's such a random ass scene. But the fact that uh, they think he got turned into a toad makes me laugh every yeah. time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Was it Tim Blake Nelson? And you know, little known facts about that scene. Originally, Rick, Dan, and I were cast as the sirens, but we had to turn it down. Oh, what a bummer. There you go. See? I still have my outfit, though. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so, you know what? I, I so just follow, mean... follow at Stokes County Boys on Instagram for that, that little preview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll send along some pictures that isn't usually on their feed. <laughs> so, another unique thing, though, is so water keeps coming up in this movie repeatedly. And, you know, water is that thing that washes away some things. Uh, for instance, if you, yeah. if you look at the place where they're baptized or where Delmar is baptized, they're, they're back to the river and the sirens are in the water. And then there's the water at the end of the movie. And it's like water keeps coming up and in a place where, Water was very difficult to come by in the 30s because there were several droughts, and yet water keeps playing a large part in it. And now I'm going to jump in with my favorite. And the flood. And the flood. And the, uh, the flash yep, flood. At the or... end where they flood the valley. But my favorite line in the movie, well, one of my favorite lines is, well, I'll be a son of a bitch. Delmar Dunn got saved. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, this this movie um, is so but, full of wonderful lines that just that are actually representative of things similar to what I heard growing up, which I'll give you another one later. <laughs> oh, Lord, I, on that water theme, Dan, uh, it just made me think of it. That's another thing that uh, Pappy of Daniel says it, in his first like radio address when he's talking about the flower, because he's talking about you know he's like talking about making biscuits with the flower, and he talks yeah. about having the the cool clear water. Yeah. Cool, so, clear water. Yeah, and it's it's just something <laughs> that's one thing that the Cohen brothers do so well at. They find a thread that goes all the way through the movie and every now and then they pull that thread to remind you that yes, we still know what we're doing. And I that's something that to me is brilliant about them. Uh, I just absolutely love that. So I don't mean to make another sharp left turn no. here, but uh we can't forget the reference to Homer. Yeah here homer as well stokes. from the odyssey uh, yes and i was about to tie it back to homer stokes county boys <laughs> we don't we don't, don't want to you're welcome you're welcome i don't want to associate with that guy. <laughs> yeah it was funny to me i caught it this time it's like his last name is stokes but i got a question for you guys is you is or is you ain't my constituency you know <laughs> uh, right <laughs> Uh, I think the answer to that is it's time to are you in it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
You know what my daddy always said, never trust a hog wallet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And and one that is probably close to racist that I heard growing up a lot. That's awfully white of you. Yeah, take yeah. It that, that way. I remember here I I never heard that growing up, but I remember hearing that in the movie and being like, strikes you as odd. It is and yeah, that's the thing. I was like, I, I never really caught that. I caught it in the first in the and the first time I saw it. And in context, I kind of get they're trying to disappear into the night. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Out of context, yeah. I'm like, I just I don't know if I could be okay with this. And I just was on the fence about it the entire time. It that scene always makes me super uncomfortable. Yeah. But I, I but, but again, in context, K-K-K I get rally. they're trying to disappear into the night. It's not about actually being in blackface. It's about it's about camouflage. Right. Yeah, then they walk to the KKK and, rally and they save Tommy. <laughs> and I think that you know, it's like it's a back and forth of that whole. And I think yeah. only the Cullen brothers can take a KKK rally and reference the Wizard of Oz in the same scene. <laughs> <laughs> and do a line dance while they're at it. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> so I missed the whole Wizard of Oz thing. So, so the fact that you know, they attack the color guard and steal their costumes. It's exactly from the Wizard of Oz when the Lion, the Tin Man, and the Scarecrow are trying to rescue Dorothy from the Wicked Witch's castle, and they jump three of the guards and steal their steal their guard yeah. outfits and get into the castle. And they're also <laughs> chanting in a similar way instead of the oh we yeah yeah very yeah. similar. And the way they walk up, they're doing that little yeah. sidestep thing. Yeah. I think I drank through that scene. Now, obviously, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Sh- Sh- shocking. <laughs> Speaking of Wizard of Oz, the movie starts in black and white and then goes into color, ends in black and white as well, just like the Wizard of Oz. I don't know that I ever realized that before, Jake. That's fantastic. Yeah. A lot of these um, Coen Brothers movies, they, they are about movies. You know, like hmm. Barton Fink was about them having like uh, writer's block when they're writing another movie. And they wrote Barton Fink while they had writer's block for, I, th- I think it was Miller's Crossing. <laughs> I'm not sure. But you see that a lot. And then, the, you know, of course... There's that scene in the theater, one of my favorite scenes, where he's just like, we thought you was a toad. But um, there is that kind of filmic element and just kind of a reference to movies that, you know, it's always fun, especially when you're watching movies, you know, that that kind of meta narrative. What I love about the Coen brothers is that uh, they approach it with an absolute genuine love for cinema. Yeah. And they bring that Mm -hmm. into everything that they do. And it's done in a way that's smart. Uh, it's uh, it's intelligent. It's uh, it's just it. They really find a way to weave it in so that it it doesn't hit you, and it doesn't it doesn't hit you to feel like uh, you're forcing it down your throat. It's done in a way that you can just enjoy it and, and love it for what it is. But they also, you know, to talk about what the Coen Brothers do in terms of the cinematography. I really appreciated how as lighthearted and fun as this movie was it has some really disturbing scenes and, you know, like shooting the cow oh, yeah. and, and then squishing the, <laughs> squishing the toad and like, but as much as, as dark and as twisted as that is, they're genius because they bring it back. I mean, they made the whole toad thing a joke, but it, towards the very end, uh, Babyface Nelson, yeah. George Nelson has been caught. You know, he, it seems like he's proud. They're just parading him down, and you hear somebody yell in the back, "Cow killer!" Yeah, that, yeah. That was the but wait, the cow ever heard? 
But wait, did you see the cow that's in the uh, the uh, people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, it's the best. I love everything about it. It takes such a serious, dark, <laughs> twisted, like, holy shit, this isn't okay. And then by the end of the movie, it's like, oh, my, that, that was great. That was great. <laughs> well, and there again, there, sorry, George, there yeah. again, you know, you're watching the crowd and they're consumed by the fact that George Nelson is a cow killer, but not more right, than and a person who killed a lot of other human beings. But the cow, that became the most important thing. He's a cow killer. <laughs> well, if you're thinking about the kind of poverty angle and the, the time of want, that's extremely yeah. wasteful for him to just be like, cows, I hate cows, and shoot one down, you know. I think one of the, one of the really interesting things, that the self-referential um, abilities of the Coen brothers, because so in that scene you talked about in the movie theater, the movie that's actually being shown is a very, very early Three Stooges movie. Oh. The Three Stooges aren't on the scene, yeah. but the Coen brothers call this film The Three Stooges Meet the Odyssey. Mm, That's how they refer okay. to this movie. Yeah, it's called Mert and Marge. It's from 1933. <laughs> and it's in my notebook. <laughs> awesome. That's one of the things about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That you see these characters in so many other movies that were either before Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? or after. It, yeah. This is a movie that almost everyone in the movie is somebody that you can relate to from somewhere else. Uh, Tommy Johnson, the guitarist, is based loosely on Robert Johnson, the blues guitarist, um, who had a very similar type of existence where legend has it he sold his soul to the devil because according to his contemporaries, he was great at playing the harmonica, but really not so good at the guitar, went away for a while and supposedly sold his soul to the devil and came back as a guitar genius. So, uh, and these are things that the yeah. Coen brothers put in the movie. Pappy O'Daniel is actually based on a Texas governor and not a Mississippi governor, but there is the governor of Texas actually owned a flour mill. So there are mm, things that they okay. take Homer and the Iliad, the Odyssey and all these things. They, they just take it from everywhere. I would like to do that. Like Art does. Yes, precisely. And it is a movie that, so they digitally tinted the entire movie, and it's the very first time in the history of cinema that that happened, that they digitally tinted an entire movie. The entire movie. I, I remember, as I mentioned before, I had the DVD, and of course I combed through every little bit of extra features, and they show that, and it was it blew my mind at the time. Now you don't really think much of it, but you know, in 2001, 2002, when you're watching that DVD and you realize that field yeah, that you see at the beginning of the movie, which is brown and just like, like, like um, George mentioned, sepia toned, it was green as can be. And in a movie that they did that, sorry, in a movie they did that later on, that I, I loved the movie, but I just hated them tenting, was the movie Traffic. I mm, liked yeah. that movie so much. I, I mean, I've seen it many times and I love it, but I did not like the fact that they took certain scenes with certain people and they were all blue and certain scenes. They were all yellow. That to me, what I felt like they were rigging it, but in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It seemed natural. And maybe because they did the entire movie in one sepia well, tone. Tra traffic was a little stylized too. I mean, I think therein lies the difference. Uh, he went for a more stylized look. Um, and, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, directors get in this mode where they want to evoke an emotion. So they'll, they'll 
cue in on a color or something like that. So I think that's why you weren't responding the way they wanted you to respond. And But the semitone I liked. I liked the fact that they were trying to find a dry Mississippi. Yet, once again, all these references to water. Well, and you know, it's interesting because they filmed the whole thing in the summer. Mm-hmm. And of course, you see the shots like Philip was talking about with that haven't been treated and everything is so green because we all know what summer in the South looks like. I mean, it is green. It's kudzu in the trees and it is. So they had to that. Yeah, they had to make it look like this dust bowl, yeah. which was their whole objective um, and to make it look like a memory to make it look mm-hmm. like you're looking at an old photograph album. Mm-mm. A story on parchment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did anyone think that uh, he should have really let off of Holly Hunter? I mean, I felt like she was a baby factory for Christ's sakes. I'm like, could you get off of Holly's back, please? I, I just wrote down that Holly Hunter is a national treasure, and I wish she was in the movie more. She's so awesome. <laughs> I agree. Best thing you did for them is get hit by that train. <laughs> I mean, that's my thing. It's like <laughs> just a great <laughs> That's my thing about Holly Hunter is that I thought she's so great and she's such a talent and she's like you want to kind of have her in every freaking scene and she's only in what like four or five and I'm like why why yeah, aren't we seeing maybe. more of her and I'd love to see what was left on the cutting room floor as it were with her because she's such a force. I love it. Well, you know, the, the Odyssey, the story of the Odyssey is all about um, Odysseus or Ulysses traveling home to his wife. So yeah. she never shows up in the story, you know, until the very end. And there's the whole thing about her suitors that he has to, like, eventually battle off, which we see, of course. He's a suitor. And he's a suitor. Bonafide. Which is one of my favorite Del Mar quotes. Like, I can quote Del Mar all day, but one of my favorite things is, like, we got banished from the Woolworths. I don't know if it's all Woolworths or just that branch, you know? <laughs> I think my favorite one is don't look like a one horse town, but try finding a decent hair tailor. <laughs> Cause that's my struggle. Come oh on. my God. <laughs> yeah. My, well, one of my favorite things is there's two moments where Everett, who's played by George, Mc, George Clooney, I'm going to say George McClooney cause it's Everett McGill yeah, yeah. played by George Clooney. When he wakes up, how's my hair? he goes, how's my hair? That's the first thing. He says. <laughs> that's like traveling with Rick. Okay. That's like traveling with Rick. Okay, because now that's the exact same thing. So I really did feel like that whole Dapper Dan and the hairnet and all that, that really is traveling with Rick. I can't go out there now. I haven't got my hair gel in yet. Couldn't possibly. And I'm not making fun of Rick. I'm being serious. No, it's true. (laughs) No. Philip, you know, you talk about, like, the good acting in this. How about John Turturro? Like, I... How good is this guy? Not just in this thing, but like, my in, you know, I'm watching this. I'm having flashbacks to Lebowski. I'm having like, he's just so good at what he does. You want, you know, he's so, he is. And it's so he's natural. So natural. He, you want to dislike him because you're supposed great. to a little bit, but he's just, you can't. He's just so good at what he's doing. And you know, this whole film, he's acting through this set of like false teeth because they, you know, they gave him these teeth to be all so they would be so jacked up. And he, I remember seeing an interview with him where he says so much of his character was dictated by these teeth. You know, it affects obviously the way you talk and, it, you know, and how you hold your mouth. And I love him. Pete is my favorite character. Well, I actually do, though, believe uh, the old adage that clothes make the man. 
And, you know, if you, you put on a, a costume, you get into character, you uh, throw on these clothes, you put on these teeth, you put on this hair, you put on this accent, you become that character. And, and something about John Turturro yeah. and everything I've ever seen him in, he just is such a natural and he just owns every single role he steps into. And I think it's, it's fun to watch. I was going to ask you guys that. Uh, so George said it, but who, who's your favorite character in the movie? Because there's so many. And it's hard to choose sometimes, but yeah. The sirens. <laughs> Sorry, but they're my favorite. They're predictable. <laughs> well, I love the handsome never. I, I think he's a slow burn because I think the first time I watched that movie, I he, it was just kind of like, well, he's the main character. But the more and more I watch it, I love his verbosity and how verbose he is. And, un, you know, just the first scene, he's asking them if he's like any of you guys Smithies, but he said something about the... <laughs> experts in the metallurgic arts. So, and you know he just riffs. You you know he's just yeah. on set, just riffing. Yeah. He's like, I'm just gonna go for it. Tell me when to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think um, he does do that. And he's very Mora Rose in this movie with all these words that are just like what? Yeah, and he believes them. I mean, he owns them. I mean, he is number one. He's so incredibly the goddamn panfamilias. <laughs> But he's funny in real life. He's a very, not that I know him, but everybody says he's a big prankster. So he's forever playing pranks on people. So I sort of feel like he brought his own self to to the screen. My favorite one, though, is Papio <laughs> Daniel. Just because I... Do you love Papio I, Daniel? Because there's nothing about what he brought that I didn't love. Because he's an opportunist who's looking at everything is about his opportunity. <laughs> and I like that. <laughs> oh, I love that. But his, his, his son, he's like, don't you want to press the flesh, Pappy? And he's like, I'll press your flesh, you dumb son of a bitch. <laughs> that moment where they come out and they're all hopped up because they sang and they got paid 10 bucks each. And Delmar's like, I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a man that'll pay you ten dollars to sing out of his can. He's like, you know, and it's something I say to this day. I'll just I think of it. It's the way he says it. It's the way he says, I'm not I'm not here to sing into a can, you dumb cracker. And the way he says that is so funny. And that whole run there is just I, I was like, I kept writing it down because it's so funny to me. Papio Daniel's awesome. I think my my favorite, and I think it's a character I love, is just the the sweet idiot, it's Delmar. I can't help it. I love, I love him so much. The The thing that defines him to me is when they're talking about the fact that, you know, Everett confesses that there was no treasure. He just, <laughs> he just got caught practicing law without a license. And then Pete confesses he only had two weeks left on his sentence. And he's like, with the added time, I'll be 80, you know, 84 years old. And he's like, 84 years old. And Delmar's like, well, I'll only be 82. And <laughs> I love that so much. It's like the innocence of that is great. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then after, after he gets uh, saved by oh, and baptized, yes. you know, he's like, he really did rob the crest or yeah, whatever yeah. it was. Piggly it was like, oh. No, he knocked off that piggly wiggly. Oh, shit. He knocked off. <laughs> How could I have forgotten the piggly wiggly? I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> Should I tell the piggly wiggly story? Um, yeah, go ahead. So <laughs> it was the summer of my 16th, uh, my 16th summer. I went to Florida to live with a cousin 
Um, and she owned a set of cottages that she would rent out and she gave me my own place to stay as long as I did maintenance around the, the area and all of that stuff. And I took a job at the grocery store up the street from uh, her cottages and it was a Piggly Wiggly. So my first job mm. ever was in a Piggly Wiggly. I worked from nine in the morning until lunchtime and I never went back. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. I can't. The grocery store is not for me. Uh, not gonna happen. You know, it's sort of a sad thing that you think that bagging groceries is actually above Rick. You know, it was a little too difficult for him to grasp the concept of bagging. It's groceries. so hard. Why? Why can't you put the eggs on the bottom? I don't understand. <laughs> and I spent seven years in, in in grocery store work between high school and college. So. I liked it. I didn't work at Piggly Wiggly. I worked at Winn-Dixie, something else that doesn't exist in North Carolina anymore. Yeah, that's right. Only in Florida and I think the edge of Alabama and Georgia. Somehow we got way off topic, though. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, no, you're, you're I this right in. Yeah, this, is, <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's like, a, oh, let's go down this road. You know, the Winn Dixie sold uh, the Winn Dixie sold Big Johnson shirts. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> that's right. Come on, Patrick, you're picking up what I'm putting down. I love it. <laughs> Look, I, I just keep thinking of you were saying the Winn Dixie's no longer, and my first thought is, well, that Ingalls and King turned into the Calvary Baptist Church. <laughs> And every time I drive by it, they even did a facade and put like a steeple on it. And I'm like, that's a grocery store. It's still an Philip, they had to do something with it because after the Ingles went down, all those teenagers were going in there to skate. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. So they had to turn it into something. Might as well be a church. Well, and and North Carolina is famous for churches. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, God forbid you have a skate park. They already had a recreational acres. They had baseball fields. <laughs> They've got all they need. Yeah, they have baseball. I mean, look, look, look at what we gave them, and they want to skate there too. <laughs> Patrick, first watch. Who's your favorite character out of this? Oh, you know, I still have. To, I have to go with Delmar, and I think it's because growing up, it sounds like he would be somebody that I would know. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the first thing that just made me laugh out loud in this movie is towards the very beginning. They're arguing who's going to be the leader yeah like, well i'm voting for you yours truly well i'm voting for yours truly well i'm with you fellas <laughs> like, yeah that sounds like every uncle and cousin and, and relative i've ever had yep <laughs> what do you want to do what do you want for dinner? well i'm with you fellas yep so i have i, I think I, he was more relatable and i don't know if that says anything about me it probably does that the both of us are like oh man i love delmar the the, the idiot yep. <laughs> you know we love him <laughs> But he's also, you know, Delmar is kind hearted yeah, yeah. in this movie, yeah. which is a which is a fun thing about his character to me is that it, both of them are really in the fact that you know ends up there's no money and yet they're forgiving, and it's like okay, you know, I mean, I guess they're just happy to be out of jail and all. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I love that he says is after they they rob the bank with with Babyface Nelson is and they're at the campfire and he's like. Woo wee, knocking off banks. Kind of makes me wish I hadn't been saved. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> I love that so much. I can't help. Sorry. I keep quoting stuff. It's annoying for most of the time. Oh, we got no problem with it. It's not annoying. I think that something else interesting about that character is Timothy Blake Nelson is the only one of the three actors who actually uses his own voice to sing. 
Oh, yeah, oh yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. the other ones just lips. Well, I don't know if they, yeah, they I don't, I don't know if they actually yeah. sang out loud on set, but they're dubbed over for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah. it's not what we hear. I'll modify my answer from the sirens to um, Everett, mostly because I can relate to the hair product. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got, a, I got a question about the hair product. So I was thinking, and this is the first, it's a thought I had. This is the first time I thought about it when I was rewatching it a couple days ago. So he tries to get it at the um, that one store, and it'll come back in two weeks, um, which is another <laughs> one of my favorite quotes. Isn't this a geographic odd- oddity? Two weeks from everywhere. And then there's the montage. The guy is getting it, trying to get it, but it's he's having to use that big, long uh, grabber thing. It's at the top shelf. Is Dapper Dan like a crappy pomade, but he likes it? And he just has it stocked up in his house? That's That's... It, you know, it probably, it's probably, it probably is, but it is something that, that this, that's not an invention for the movie. It actually was a pomade. Mm, mm-hmm. So, uh, well, you know, it always gets them into trouble. That's why the hounds always follow them. Yeah. Yeah. Smelling yeah. The, the Dapper Dan scent and, and they always reference, oh, what's that smell? Half the point, Jake. Come but on. I, yeah, exactly. I also wonder if because it's on the top shelf is because they're in the South and uh, most Southern men don't take that much pride and, mm. and care in their hair. And therein lies the difference with Everett in that he's all about the hair jelly. Right. And I, I, totally feel that six ways in Sunday, but um, I, it's not something that's often done in the South with, uh, with Southern men. It's like they, my hair is what it is. Cause in the South you're wearing hats most, most of the time. time yeah. Right? You're dead on there, Rick. See every now and then I get one, right. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's interesting to note that the store where he does find the product and they have to use the grab them stick to get it. Does not stock five. That is not on the shelf. <laughs> I was also waiting for Mrs. Olson to come out from the back, but you know, it's <laughs> like, where is she? Come on. Yeah, but let's talk. Let's talk about Big Dan Teague, George. So Big Dan Teague, in relationship to the Odyssey, is of course the Cyclops, uh, who I think is interesting because they meet him when they're at that fancy restaurant, um, and in the Odyssey. Odysseus's men are lured into the Cyclops' cave because he has this giant fee set out. So it's food that he lures them into the cave with, and he seals off the cave, and then he eats the men because he's Hannibal. Um, and I think that's very interesting. They, they brought that into this movie by having them meet at a restaurant. And then go on a picnic. And yeah. then go on a picnic. Yeah. And I think also something that was really interesting, and I just picked it up for the first time this rewatching was when they sit, when Everett and Delmar sit down to eat, they order steak. And then Big Dan T comes over and says, have them wrap it up and we'll take a picnic style. And, you, and then you cut to them sitting out at the picnic and he's eating a chicken bone. I'm like, wait, is that a gaff? Because they didn't order chicken. Is that weird? But they fix it because the first thing he says is, thank you boys for throwing in that fricassee for me. I'm a man of large <laughs> appetite. And I'm like, that's so genius that they fix that. Well, and you know, so, Here's a movie where they use two larger-than-life actors to do two larger-than-life people in the movie. I mean, John Goodman, just he eats the furniture in most movies he's in. He's so incredibly talented. And he's this big voice, this big man, and they use him to full advantage in this movie. He just has to be such a bad guy, too. Such yes. A bad guy. <laughs> 
Yeah, and he's in Which the clan something- on top of all that. <laughs> 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 I mean, he gets his in the end. That's right. He gets his in the end. Don't let that flag touch the That's ground. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a big thing. Like when I stuff about like the flag touching the ground. I remember growing up hearing all that mess. And so when I saw that movie and they're like, don't let that flag touch the ground. I was just like. It, it was just like one of those things. Like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Well, and it's so it's a very big thing. I mean, yeah. so in this instance, it's the Confederate flag. Yeah, right. But but in the United States, it, the American flag cannot touch the ground. If the American flag touches the ground, you're not supposed to use it again. You've desecrated it. I used mm-hmm. to raise the flag at the Cove City Post Office. I know these things. And it also and then she used to wear it on the, the weekend, rain. so that ain't saying much. Come on, <laughs> as a hair scarf, which is totally illegal, by the way. But you know, it's it's funny as a crop top. <laughs> <laughs> I've bedazzled it now. I use it as my halter top in the summer. My hair back and forth. <laughs> I do think too. It's interesting to note that in that scene, the crowd is so caught up in not letting the flag touch the ground that they are paying no attention to the fact that our heroes have gotten over to the fiery cross and are cutting the cables and that's how they escape. Right, right, right. You know? Now, here's the only thing. Well, there's, I, I love this movie, and, and if I nitpick one thing, it's when John Goodman catches that, that flagpole, and the way he brings it down, he would obviously <laughs> drag it through the dirt the way he did that. And so that that's just one thing that always kind of irked me for some reason, but... You know what, John Goodman? If you're listening, we expect a comment out of you. Yeah, because this is not <laughs> right. We want a we want a George Lucas style reshoot of this. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I think we should tag John Goodman in the in the social post for this episode and make I'll him comment. It. He's gonna have to wear a fat suit at this. Yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll but to, that's okay. Hey, the, good for him. In the, yeah, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> I'm jealous as hell. <laughs> I don't need a fat suit. <laughs> Oh my God, you know it, it's it's kind of our out of left field commentary that typically happens nearly every time we we do these. <laughs> the scene where they're at the picnic, you know, the Dapper Dan product placement was obvious. I mean, that was they turned it into a joke. You still saw your product placements throughout this movie, just very subtly. Uh, you know, that picnic scene. I noticed there's a coke, you know, coke bottle mm-hmm. there. That's standard, whatever. There's a Budweiser bottle. I noticed, a Budweiser noticed bottle. what looked like a Budweiser bottle. But I'm like, is that really a Budweiser? I went down the rabbit hole. At, you know, I'm making some notes. I went down the rabbit hole. I did not realize that the Budweiser bottle has really not changed in design. Patrick, I did the same in thing. nearly 100 years. <laughs> Patrick, I did the same thing. I was like, I saw the Budweiser bottle. I'm like, what the hell is this? And it just, 20 minutes later, I'm like, oh, okay. All right, now I can keep the movie going. <laughs> Like you know what? It'll I, drive me insane. I want to I want to make fun of you for doing that, but I can't. So <laughs> it'll so, it'll drive me insane. But it it's something that happens a lot. So the Coke bottle, uh, a regular Coke bottle, has a twist on it, and I think they've been using that since the twenties. It has not altered one bit since then because it's recognizable. Coke has changed the lettering. But the actual twisted bottle is still the same. Well, and so I can plug it. I, I'm not going to get it. For it. If you're but looking the ta- for sponsorship. Really? The Tangeray the bottle, the liquor, Tangeray, uh-huh. the bottle is actually patented because it's a fire hydrant. So if you look at the green bottle yeah. with the red 
with the red seal mm-hmm. on it. It is a fire hydrant and it is patented. So no other liquor company will ever be doing that as their bar. And only Dan would know this. Because <laughs> I've drank enough of that shit. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> well, I don't think we can talk about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou without talking about the fictional music group that was formed after the movie came out. It was Man of Constant Sorrow was the big song for the movie, right? The music around this movie was actually uh, inspired uh, a DVD special, if I'm correct, called Down from the Mountain. It was a concert tour starring uh, Alison Krauss, Emmylou Harris. I think it was John Hartford, Ralph Stanley. I think there are a couple other ones. Help me out, Dan, if you know. Chris Sharp. Right. Chris Sharp, I believe. And Gillian Welch. And uh, and so it was all about sort of mountain music uh, or bluegrass and everything. And uh, so it's really interesting to me how music just sort of took off as a part of an offset of this movie. And I know we talked about it being its own character and all of that, but it really should be sort of celebrated, I feel like, in a way, for being its own thing. Uh, in this movie yeah and you know someone you left out in that list was dan tominsky who was actually the singing voice for george Clooney. yes yes yeah it was a great voice by the way (laughs) i mean so good and you believe when george Clooney's mouth opens, you believe that's what's coming out and that's that's not an easy thing to do i mean i know i know they can take multiple takes but the fact that they are so in sync is amazing yeah when he's singing in the can you can see he's actually singing because he's like his veins come out of his throat and he's like singing into it, even if his voice. Well, the first time I, <laughs> yeah, the first time I saw it, I actually uh, researched that. And sure enough, they actually did sing the songs, but they were dubbed over mm. uh, later. The only okay. one who wasn't was Delmer. He was the only one whose voice made it to the final cut, but all the others were dubbed over. So I have a question for everybody. Sure. Since music is such a huge part of this mm-hmm. movie, what's everyone's favorite song from the movie? Okay. So, if uh, listeners out there, if you're devotees to the Stokes County Boys, you know that we talked about this soundtrack. We talked, to, we did a, to, we do top five episodes from time to time. We did top five movie soundtracks. I, I chose the soundtrack from this, and I chose "Down in the River to Pray," the the baptism scene. Fathers, let's go down. Come on down. Don't you wanna go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down. Oh, nice. There is the recorded version, but one thing I really love, and this is, um, I'm glad this came up, and George, thanks for asking this, because this is something I wanted to point out and I almost forgot. One thing I love about this movie, and you see it in different parts, is the sound mixing in the movie is so good that when they have close-ups of like certain people you hear their part like their harmonies come out a little more than than it normally would in like a in say like the soundtrack mix where it's all blended so like there's the one part that the camera swings around to this one man and you hear his voice kind of stick out more than it probably would in like a traditional mix. You also hear that at the end when the girls are singing and they go across the railroad tracks and, and whoever the, that's one of my favorites. But one thing I do love about the movie itself is there are moments in some of the songs where you hear those, those harmonies based on the position of the camera, which is pretty cool. I love that. And I would agree with you. I think, uh, go down to the river was one of my favorites as well, but, 
I think my all-time favorite was uh, actually uh, The Sirens and Go to Sleep Little Baby. I think that's why yeah. I kind of lead to them. It's just something about that song that's just so dark and morose for such a random and sort of could be funny and comical scene. I love the dichotomy. I'm going to get too philosophical about it, but I love the dichotomy no, of all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's gone in the cotton and the corn Didn't leave nobody but the baby Your sweet little baby One song I remember growing up with is I'll Fly Away. And I love oh, that yeah. version. It's just, it's magical. Yeah. And it is, a lot of these songs, I couldn't necessarily sing along with them all the way through. But quite a few of them I was already familiar with when the movie came out. Because as I think Patrick said earlier, it's something that we've heard growing up. If not the exact song, some parts of the song used somewhere else. And it did remind me of old-timey religion type thing. And I did enjoy that aspect of it quite a bit. Patrick and I used to cover that song. Did you? Do it. Do it. Do it. How about a little version? Do it. it. You want to count in? I'll give you a count in. We, well, what we do, we had this one song that we had written that Patrick would play banjo on. And to lead into that song, we'd play like two verses of I'll Fly Away. And then just go seamlessly into the song we wrote so people would think that was a good song too. (laughs) (laughs) Get in where you can fit in. Yep. Do it. We want right, to hear so it. So do it, boys. Oh, I wish. I hadn't. I haven't touched a banjo in. When was our last yeah. show? Two thousand. Okay. So <laughs> one or both of you have a music degree. I do. Patrick does. I know. You do. Okay. So you must be able to count in, right? I could. Come on, Patrick. Do it. <laughs> All right. We have That's, time. Keep going. Gonna, we do, keep going. But, uh, I'm just going to step away for a second, but don't stop. Rick's going to go learn the lyric to it. He'll be right back. <laughs> I'll need a backup singer, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Who? Okay, okay, what's so your which, favorite song from the movie? You know, I, I'm going to cheat. I, I've got to say You Are My Sunshine and I'll Fly Away. And the reason that I can't pick between the two is because both of them had... I thought both were really well done. The versions were really well done. They fit the movie great, but also the songs themselves, I like for the exact same reason. It's nostalgia, but they're beautiful songs. You know, it kills me when when you you hear people say, oh, I don't like country, or I don't like, like, here's the thing about this sort of music. It's designed to be simple so the masses can understand and participate. You got the scene with the baptism. That whole congregation singing, that's not, you know, I mean, that's by design. Right. That's any sanctuary ever is designed so everybody can come together. I've always loved that communal part, especially of Southern religion. Now, you can get into other aspects of it, but but as far as the music goes, I've always loved the way that it was meant to bring people together. You Are My Sunshine, I'll, I'll Fly Away, I think they do that so well. And again, having that personal connection thinking of my grandpa, thinking of my family, thinking of the Stoke Stomp. Philip, you know, I've talked about the Stoke Stomp. I mean, these are songs that were constants at the Stoke Stomp where you go to this festival and people are just, you, you've got jam bands all over the place with just whatever instrument they could bring. 
you're going to hear these. And for those reasons, they're simple enough with simple enough progressions. They can just bring people together. I love that. So got to be all fly away and you are my sunshine for me. Yeah. Well, as much I love Johnny Cash's rendition of In the Jailhouse Now. So I love In the Jailhouse Now. It's a good song to sing yeah. along to. But my favorite one is The Lonesome Valley. Mm. I love when when it hits, like all those bass voices. Like every time I hear it, I just get a wave, a rush, and I start to tear up a bit. And I start to sing because I like to hit that, that deep bass as well. When you do that and you can resonate, it feels really good. But that's, that's definitely my favorite song. And also that's when they really finally get saved. <laughs> it's yeah. like that moment in the movie yeah. where it's like, okay, we can finally rest for our heroes. <laughs> I brought the mic for the backup. Cool. George. <laughs> uh, yeah. ready. That's it. So my favorite is a song that's so brief in the actual movie. And I only, of course, love it because of the soundtrack. And it's I Am Weary, Let Me Rest. Oh, yes. It's, yes. It's such a fantastic song. And you only hear such a little part of it after the Warby Gals perform. And there's they, they come up and they start to perform this song. Or not the Warby Gals, the band, the, um, the Cox family. They come up and start performing it. And then we cut to the Woolworths thing. So yeah. you get so little of it in the movie, but it's such a fantastic song. That, yeah. It, it gives me all the feels. I, I really, yeah, I really like that too. And, and it caught me again, like just that little bit. get so little of it but it's just i'm just repeating what you're saying but yes you're right so little of it but <laughs> yeah, yeah you, i mean if you if you don't know it from because the movie gives you so little please find it and spotify listen to it it will it will change your life i guarantee well, we'll and we'll, the soundtrack is very cheap on itunes nice i think it was 6.99 or 5.99 for the whole soundtrack okay well, I'll plug I'll plug our little our Spotify playlist. We'll put all our favorites on that. So if you yes. don't Yay. want to buy it on iTunes for a very decent price, Modest you can just price. check out. Like I say, you you type in Stokes County and Spotify, you'll find two things. You'll find this this episode and our playlist, and so we'll put those on there. But yeah, nice. I like. That. I think this. Awesome. Well, I I just want to say, I I think we could keep going on, but. Um, I think we got to wrap it up. Thanks so much, Queer Magnolias, Dan, Jake, George, Rick. Thanks so much for being on the show and talking to us about this movie. It was it was, it was a great conversation. Thank you for asking and having us on. Yeah, We've enjoyed it. So much fun. Thank you guys. It's been a blast. We can't wait to have you guys all do our podcast. Will you come? Will yes, you come? I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. You it. need to say yes right now. Will you come? Yes. Right. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what else? Without question. <laughs> Perfect. Yay. Awesome. Thank you guys for, for having us. It was it was quite the blast. It was fun to go back for all childhood memories. So oh, yeah. you guys are awesome. Uh you know it's coming. So <laughs> here, it is. here it is. You know it's coming. Here it is. Yep. Here it is. Do it. Do it. So, do it. Do it, Patrick. Do it. If y'all won't mind, I have to live vicariously through you guys right now from your hometown. What's your, you get one restaurant and one meal to eat at that restaurant. Where are you going? What are you getting? Yeah, I'll go first. So the little town I grew up in has no restaurant. However, Ooh. 
not so far away. They also a don't have a city called sign, Winter. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't a flashing light. So in a city called Winterville, or if you're from my neck of the woods, Winterville, North Carolina, there's a place called the Dixie Queen Seafood. They open at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, Tuesday through Saturday. Don't go on Sunday and Monday because they're religious. But they will bring a basket of fried seafood, french fries, and delectable coleslaw, hush puppies, and iced tea to the table. You know, it might be $12 or $15 or whatever, but it is some of the freshest seafood you'll ever find in eastern North Carolina. And it's, it's a family-owned restaurant that I went to school with two of the girls um, for a while and it, they've had the restaurant for 40 years and it is absolutely delicious. All right, George, you're up. Go. Me? Okay. So I thought about this obviously because I knew it was coming and Wilson has, there's so many restaurants that I think of as very iconic Dick's hot dog sandwich been around since like 1941. There's the creamery. There's um, Burger Boy, which is outside the old Starlight Theater. One, George. But you I'm, get one. But if I'm going to pick one, it's, you can't do Wilson or that part of North Carolina about thinking barbecue. So I'm going to go to Parker's Barbecue and I'm not going to get a meal. Patrick, I'm going to cheat. I'm doing family style because that's what they do. And it's <laughs> all you can eat, Brunswick stew, and there's delicious deep fried corn sticks. I'm so about it. <laughs> nice. I, I've been sold on family style. I, I think that's the best way to best way to go when you're at a when you're at a restaurant with friends or family or whoever. It's the best way to eat, I think. Yeah, I mean, they just keep bringing the food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fetch us some more from the kitchen. That's right. <laughs> All right, you're up, Jake. Go. From my hometown of Alhambra, I don't, restaurants come and go. And from what I remember of high school, saving my lunch money, I wouldn't eat lunch. But instead, I'd walk home and I would stop by Fossilman's ice cream oh. instead. Oh, and it's, oh. been it's, it's a landmark of Alhambra. It's they make homemade ice cream. I used to when it was November during my birthday time, I would always save my money and go get pumpkin pie ice cream. They would put whole entire oh, pieces wow. of pumpkin pie in there. So forget the dinner and just go get the great. <laughs> <laughs> so I will I will tell you before Rick gets to his that fossil months burbled up on someone's Instagram feed. And I became so obsessed with it. And I have a girlfriend that lives out that way. So I said to her one time, I want to go to Fossilman's. And she said, how do you know Fossilman's? And I'm like, well, I follow them on Instagram. Jake is not lying when I tell you Fossilman's is off the chain delicious. Totally worth it, Patrick. Yep. Alhambra, California. Alhambra, California. <laughs> Well, you know, WrestleMania, not next year, but the following year is out that way. So, uh, uh, hit us up. We'll what? show you around. Okay. Hit us up. We'll I show you around. I think Jake will go to WrestleMania yeah, with 100%. I think that, that, that would be really fun. I'm not going, I'm not going to WrestleMania. I watch wrestling. I won't go to WrestleMania. I'll go to happy hour afterwards or, you know, whatever. But, yeah. <laughs> all right, Rick, what are you eating? Oh, all right. So, me, like George, I have a. a probably a long list of favorite places uh, that I like to eat growing up. But if I had to pull it down to one, and I'm not doing this because she's family, uh, but my cousin owned a restaurant in Dobson, North Carolina called Captain's Reef. And the other Magnolias here know I don't eat seafood. It's just not in my bag, but I didn't grow up that way. I actually used to eat seafood. And so we used to go to her restaurant a lot. But what I loved about her restaurant was not the seafood. It was her hush puppies. Uh, because she made her hush puppies with beer 
And so as a kid, knowing even though you she put beer in the batter and she throws it in the deep fryer and it's going to burn off any sense of alcohol, I got excited because I got to have hush puppies with beer. <laughs> and so they were some of the best hush puppies I uh, had growing up. And I actually make my cornbread to this day with beer. So uh, we'll wrap it up. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at SCBoysPod, Instagram at Stokes County Boys. Send us an email. Tell us your uh, restaurants and bars or whatever at stokescountyboys at gmail.com. Already plugged this playlist. If you want to give direct support, you can always do that. Anchor.fm slash SCBoys slash support. So before we head out of here, we got to uh, plug one more time the Queer Magnolias podcast. Rick, where can we find you guys? Well, you can find us on Instagram at Queer Magnolias Podcast. And on Facebook at Queer Magnolias Podcast. On Twitter at Queer Magnolias. And email us at Queer Magnolias Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, once again, it's been a blast. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And we're coming to your front porch, hopefully sooner than later. So we appreciate the invite. <laughs> Absolutely. We can't wait. Absolutely. We can't wait. I'm excited for it. Guys, thank you thank so much you. for having us. We appreciate you yes. putting up with us and uh, all of our off-topic bunny trails that we go down from time to time. So thank you. <laughs> look, look who you're talking to. This is, <laughs> right. no. this is great. Any Anytime somebody says that, we're like, no, that, that's what this is. That's what we're doing. So it's all good. And gives me Stokes County Boys is brought to you in part by Bull City Bows and Ties. Gussy up your puppy with these easy-to-attach fashion collar accessories. Your kitty will be sitting pretty in these handsome bows and ties. So go to etsy.com slash shop slash Bull City Bows and Ties to see over 50 styles and patterns. Founder and CEO is vet technician by day, pet fashion icon by night. Independently owned and operated, Bull City Bows and Ties can be found on Facebook or Etsy shop. Once again, etsy.com slash shop slash Bull City Bows and Ties. Bull City Bows and Ties. Tell them the Stokes County Boys sent you.